When it comes to the prophesied Israeli-Palestinian peace agreement, relentless mistrust in the Middle East has led to, or will lead to, a prophesied false peace. And I will provide an update on this edition of End of the Age. There's so much going on in the Middle East right now, especially with the Israelis, Palestinians, the Saudi Arabia, just the whole region right there. And I wanted to kind of bring you up to speed on the Israeli-Palestinian situation specifically and what the Bible says about it. But we've got to go back and give you a little history because when you're talking about Israel, if you do not understand the history behind it, There's no sense in talking about Israel today. You really don't understand unless you know the history. So we'll start back at the beginning. I'll bring you up to today, and then we'll start with the report. So the first 11 chapters in the Bible are devoted to 2,000 years of human history. I mean, Noah and the flood, the, uh, the Adam and Eve, everything, all of that was before... Abraham. So, first 11 chapters, think about that. But when a man named Abraham arrives on the scene, well, God slows way down and he spends the next 12 chapters of the Bible on the life of this one man. And that indicates to all of us how important Abraham was in the plan of God for humanity. Abraham became the father of the physical people of God, the Jews, and the father of the spiritual people of God, the church. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Abraham was called Abram until God changed his name. And this is God's call to Abraham or Abram. He was called to go to the promised land, the land known today as the nation of Israel. And from this one man, every family on the earth would be blessed. Now, you say, well, how is that? How how am I in America or in Germany or wherever I'm listening in New Zealand? How can I be blessed by Abraham? Well, Abraham would be a blessing... And any who blessed him would be blessed, and any who cursed him would be cursed. 
and we would be blessed of Him because He gave us the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The promise is still, the promise of the promised land and the promised seed, the Messiah, it is still applicable to the offspring of Abraham, the nation of Israel today, the promise of the promised land. God gave Abraham two promises, the promise of the promised land and the promise of the promised seed. Genesis chapter 15 tells us about the promised land. Genesis 15, 12 says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. In the previous verses, God told Abraham to prepare a sacrifice. And when Abraham did so, darkness came over him and he fell into a trance. Well, then in Genesis 15, 17 through 18, it says, <coughs> And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between these pieces. Now, Abraham's in a trance now. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed, unto your, the lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob after you, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river all the way down in Egypt up unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So think about that on a map today. The great river all the way down in Egypt, way south of where Israel is today, all the way up past Syria or up in, way up into Syria, into the Euphrates River. That's how big the promised land is. Today, Israel only has a very little sliver of the original promised land. However, God made an unbreakable covenant with Abram. He had journeyed to the promised land, the land of Israel. In verse 18, God laid out the rough boundaries of this promised land from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Israel has never really had all of this land except during one era. It was during King David's and King Solomon's reigns that Israel's boundaries covered the area from the river in Egypt to the, in the south to the Euphrates River in the north. And though Israel does not have all of this land now, this is very important, the promise that God gave Abraham of this promised land is still as valid as it ever was. So, today, Damascus is in the promised land. Think about this on a map. All the way down into Egypt. Now, if they were to try to occupy all this land, we'd have World War III tomorrow morning, right? And there will come a time when they will inhabit this land, when the Lord comes back. But until then, there is so much mistrust and people against Israel, it's hard to see how it's going to play out, except for the Bible. The Bible goes into great detail how all of this is going to play out, how Israel will sign a false peace agreement that's going to be broken, and a lot of different things are going to happen as we go through. The United Nations will end up not honoring, and the Antichrist will end up not honoring this peace agreement. And there's going to be a great slaughter. And so 
We'll get to that as we go through the program. But since from the time of Abraham, over time, King David, King Solomon, over time, two Jewish temples were built. King Solomon built the first temple, and then Zerubbabel and the other Jews built it when they came back out of exile, out of Babylonian captivity. They built the second temple, and that lasted until it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. And at that time, the Jews were scattered all over the world among the nations. And so now you see how important the nation, the modern-day nation of Israel is when you understand just a little bit of its history. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 intime That's 800-363-8463. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and End of the Age Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you, and we love you. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End of the Age television and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. So here you have in 70 A.D., the second temple is destroyed by the Roman general Titus. Israel, the Jews are just scattered amongst the nations. But I want to jump forward from there about 2,000 years. In 1939, the world's worst war broke out. Over the next six years, 52 million human beings met violent deaths. Among these were 6 million Jews that Adolf Hitler shipped off to concentration camps. Just when the Jewish people thought their lives could get no worse, well, it did. Hitler's gas chambers and crematoriums cruelly snuffed out young and old alike. It was just horrific His goal was to rid the earth of the Jews once and for all. 
and he called his extermination campaign the final solution. What a dark time on the history of the human race. Well, when the magnitude of Hitler's horrible holocaust was revealed to the world, and because of their collective guilt of the world's nations, it compelled them to finally grant the Jewish people a place to call home. On November 29, 1947, the United Nations voted to partition the area of the British Mandate into an Arab state and an Israeli state. This is going to be the partition plan. You've heard of it. Well, the Jews, of course, they were thrilled to have a homeland after almost 2,000 years uh, of being, really, they were just sifted through the nations. Well, of course, they accepted that partition plan with great joy. And this is when the Third Temple era really began. But the Arabs that were living in the region of Palestine, Israel that at that time was called Palestine. But the, the, actually the, the Jerusalem Post, the big news source today, was originally called the Palestine Post. So the Arabs that were living there, they call themselves Palestinians today. That's what a Palestinian is, an Arab that was living in that area. The Arabs immediately, they rejected the partition plan. The, the, area, the area that was Israel today, they were going to divide that in two and give Israel a part of it and give the Arabs that lived there part of it. But the Arabs said, no, we don't want that. They could have had a state on their own back then, but they rejected it. And so they simply wanted to eradicate the Jews. That, that's what the PLO was all about, the forming of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, what were they trying to liberate? They were trying to liberate the land of Jews and Zionism. So it was called the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Well, after policing the area of Palestine for 28 years, the British were tired of continual conflict between the Arabs and Jews. They wanted out. Finally, the British announced they were conducting the British, or I'm sorry, they were, um, let's say, concluding the British mandate. It was coming to an end. They were done. And on May 14th, 1948, it was going to finish. Well, this decision would leave Palestine with no one to keep order. So when the British forces left on May 14th, the Jews made their move and Israel declared its independence that same day. May 14th, 1948. The very next day, five Arab nations, which would have been Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq, they launched a war against this really just a brand new infancy, uh, this newly born Jewish state. There were only 600,000 Israeli people at the time. So you can imagine them fighting all five of these other nations. Well, most nations thought Israel was, would, was going to get wiped out. But amazingly, God helped them. Because, according to Ezekiel 37, God was the one that drew them back together as a nation. Ezekiel's boneyard coming back to life, right? 
So when the Armistice Treaty was signed as a result of these five nations attacking Israel, they went to war. There was an Armistice Treaty signed in 1949. Israel controlled more land than that which the United, States, the United Nations had given them. And so, though this, it was a great victory for Israel, remember the promise that God had given to Abraham. It had still not been fully restored. Remember, from the river in Egypt in the south to the river, the great river of Euphrates in the north, they only got a very small sliver of that. So what happened is, it stayed that way until 1967. That was the the 67 borders, is what they call it today. Well, in 1967... Egypt's Gamal Abdel Nasser said they were not going to let the Jewish nation survive. And they launched a war against Israel again. However, you know the story. It's the Six Days War. Israel defeated all of the neighbors who fought against her in just six short days. And the best thing about it was is they took back the Temple Mount. Now, Israel announced to the world that the Temple Mount is now in our hands. However, they did not rebuild the Temple. Now, a lot of people can't believe this. And when you understand the story, you would think, hey, let's just go in and tear down the the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. And let's build our third temple. God's given it to us in our hands. But they didn't do that. That's what they should have done, according to Scripture, But they didn't do it because they were afraid of the world community and the United Nations. And so they bowed to the United Nations and the world community rather than to God. Because it was God's will for them to go in and inhabit the land, possess the land, drive out the heathen. But they didn't do it. So now they're living with the consequences of that. And you understand why I needed to tell you the history before we got into the geopolitical situation that's going on now in Israel with the status quo on the Temple Mount, the Jews and the, uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians. So Jerusalem was under foreign occupation from 70 A.D. until 1948. East Jerusalem was under Jordanian control from 1948 to 1967. And yet during this span of almost, uh, would be 1,897 years, it was of this foreign occupation, Jerusalem was never made the capital of any occupying power. Now think about that when Palestine says, oh no, we've got to have Jerusalem as our capital. Why? It's never been your capital. It's never been the capital since 70 A.D., It's never been the capital of any nation. So when you hear in the news that the Palestinians are crying that, no, Jerusalem's got to be our capital, the question is, why? It's never been your capital. So the nation of Israel was reborn at this point, just like the Bible prophesied in Ezekiel 37. And on May 14, 1948, 
the, the Temple Mount was, um, or they, on May 14, 1948, they claimed their independence. And then the Temple Mount was reclaimed by Israel in 1967, the Six-Day War. Now, the Six-Day War was stunning. It was a, a, a remarkable event. Israel captured the Sinai Desert in the south from Egypt, the Golan Heights in the north from Syria, and the, 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 and the biblical area of Judea, Samaria, and parts of Jordan, So, which would be the, the um, West Bank, modern-day West Bank today, including, and most importantly, really, the, the entire city of Jerusalem. They had controlled some of the western part of Jerusalem. Now they have the entire city. All of these areas were part of the biblical promised land. Now, the crowning event, obviously, was the capture of the city of Jerusalem, and in particular, the Temple Mount. If you understand how important the the Temple Mount was in the Old Testament, you can understand in the mind of the Jews how important it was that in 1967 when they invaded the Temple Mount complex and captured it. Uh, If you know anything about the Bible... That's a huge prophecy. Now, the, of course, it's the Temple Mount where Almighty God said 37 times, at least 37 times in the Old Testament, that He would put His name there. The Temple Mount, that's the same place where Abraham raised the knife over Isaac. It's the same place where the threshing floor that uh, got the threshing floor of Arana that God told David to go by. That's where it was located, up on the Temple Mount. God chose this location. It wasn't Abraham. God said, you go to a a place that I will show you. And it's where the first temple stood. It's where the second temple stood. And according to the Bible, it is where the third third temple will soon stand. Now... Of course, it's an amazing day, right? Because it was part of the fulfillment of God's promise to the people of Israel. The world watched this stunning victory in awe. And when the announcement went around the world, the Temple Mount is in our hands, even kings and presidents instinctively knew they were witnessing an event of biblical proportions. Mr. Shlomo Gorin. He was the chief rabbi of the Israeli Defense Forces, and he was there when they took the Temple Mount. Rabbi Gorin turned to his commanding general, who uh, General Uzi, and he said, "Hey, now's our time. Take, let's take dynamite. I've got dynamite here. Let's take this dynamite, blow up the Dome of the Rock, blow up the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and purge this holy place of the heathen shrines." Rabbi Gorin knew exactly what the Bible told them to do. Tear down their high places. But General Uzi said, Rabbi, that's enough. But Rabbi Shlomo Gorin was not to be deterred. He said, listen, General Uzi, you'll go down in history if you'll do it. This is the moment of redemption. General Uzi said, if you do not stop, I'm going to take you to jail. Wow, what a missed opportunity. Imagine today, if Israel was in control of the Temple Mount, no Dome of the Rock, no Al-Aqsa Mosque. They probably would already have built their third temple, wouldn't you think? Well, 
Rabbi Gorin bowed his head and walked away silently. It was an opportunity, a huge opportunity, missed in history. Many people believed if Israel had removed the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, they could have immediately began building their temple. Back in 1967, the year before I was born, and that the Messiah would have returned right then. A lot of people believe that. But it was not to be. Instead, Israel had disobeyed God. You've heard the term, the Temple Mount status quo today in the news all the time. What's the status quo? The status quo on the Temple Mount. Well, this event right here, the missed opportunity set the stage for the current temple, the current status quo on the Temple Mount. Instead of removing these pagan houses of worship, Israel's government invited, now they had just taken this from Jordan, okay, and pushed the Arabs back. But the Israel turns right around and invites the Muslim Waqf, W-A-Q-F, the Waqf, which uh, the Muslim Authority, back to the Temple Mount, and they placed the Temple Mount under their control. You say, well, why did they do that? Well, they did this because they feared the international community again, and what would happen if they did away with the Muslim holy places? And additionally, they did this because the Jewish government was secular. Believe it or not. And they did not want to ignite a religious revival that would sweep them out of power and bring about a renewal of the nation of Israel as it was in biblical days. Now, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around Israel being mainly secular. But it is. And even though their history... And they're, they're all, if you follow their lineages all the way back, they go to Abraham. But yet, most of Israel today, secular. And so, consequently, Israel invited the Muslims back and put them in control of the Temple Mount. Now you understand today's Temple Mount status quo, where they don't want to let the Jews come up and pray, they painted all the door frames, the window frames, everything that's wood green because they want to let Israel know, hey, we're Muslims and we are in control of this. It's the current Temple Mount status quo. It's what it's all about. And so it's very important that we understand this. You understand about the history. Now we're going to get into some of the future of Israel and what's coming in the updated version in the next segment. Can't wait. Whether it's a global pandemic, threat of war, or floundering economies, end-time events are happening around the world every day. How can you have peace in a world of such great uncertainty? With the End Time Magazine subscription, you can gain a deeper understanding of current events and its prophesied repercussions. End Time Magazine's exclusive content and prophetic insight allows you to understand where we are in the end time. It will give you peace when horrific news and events happen. 
when you subscribe today to End Time Magazine for 12 months for just $19.99. You can have hope for the future because you will understand what the Bible says about the time we are living in. You'll get access to exclusive articles like the Prophesied American-Israeli Alliance, End Time Do's and Don'ts, and Could School Choice Save America? Subscribe for you or a friend right now. Go to endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-END-TIME. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. You know, everybody, when you read the news, you would think, well, this situation between the Israelis and Palestinians, it is out of control. They're never going to sign a peace agreement. They're never going to come to a, uh, a, a situation where they might have a, a, some kind of peace arrangement and it's just going to go on like this forever. Well, you say, how did we ever get here? The problem is Israel disobeyed God. They did not do what God told them to do, which was to drive out the inhabitants of the promised land, and instead they attempted to coexist with them. And this is all the way back in the book of Numbers, but it still applies today. Numbers 33, verses 50 through 52. It explains what God expected His people to do, and it says, now remember, back then they're just coming in out of the wilderness into the promised land. And the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab, just before they're getting ready. The Moab mountains run right along the Jordan Valley. When you stand up where Moses stood and looked into the promised land, you can see Jordan, or you can see Jericho, which is the first city. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. It's the first city they conquered when they went into the promised land. You can stand up on the mountains and see Jericho down there, right across the Jordan River. So they're getting ready. Remember, Moses couldn't go in. But he's, Joshua is getting ready to lead those 19 years old and down, Joshua, Caleb. They're going to take them in. And the Bible says, And the Lord spake to Moses in the plains of Moab, right by Jordan, near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when you are passed over Jordan, when you guys go into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all of the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures, destroy all their molten images, and quite pluck down all of their high places. Now, remember Rabbi Shlomo Gordon. He was trying to obey God. And he said, let's tear down the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. These were the high places. These were the Muslim high places. Shlomo Gorham was saying, hey, we're bound by God. 
we're supposed to tear these things down. But General Uzi said, no, you be quiet or I'm going to take you to jail. He disobeyed God. He was doing what he was told to do. But God specifically said to pluck down their high places. Then in uh, Numbers 33, verses 53 through 55, God said, And you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein. Drive them out. You guys possess it. The Bible says, For I have given you the land to possess it. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Now, I mean, wow. Has that ever come true? Do you think that the Palestinians today are not pricks in the eyes of the Israelis and thorns in their sides? If they would have just driven them out and said, no, we're going to inhabit the promised land given to us by God, they wouldn't have to worry about it today. So, what about the future? What's going to happen? Well, every attempt to create lasting peace between Israel and the Palestinians has failed. There are many obstacles to reviving Middle East peace efforts, not the least of which is an enduring lack of mutual trust. According to a 2021 RAND Corporation report, The greatest obstacle between Israeli-Palestinian peace is mutual trust. They simply don't trust each other, and for good reason. The report details that, and I'm quoting, the the data highlights the deep distrust and profound animosity of each side for the other. And... So while the Palestinians see Israel as the occupying power and external control intruding into their right of self-government and their own homeland, even though they just simply occupied the land of Palestine prior to the Jews coming back, the Israelis view the Holy Land as the location of the two ancient Jewish temples and the cradle of Jewish biblical civilization, which is exactly what it is. And I've heard so many people over the years try to come against Zionism and against Israel and say, well, you guys don't even have a right to this promised land, or the temples were never built up on the Temple Mount. They were built in, um, in, uh, in the city of David or in some other place, and it's simply not true. It is the biblical, Jewish biblical, uh, the cradle of their civilization. And the temple mounts were where both of the temples stood. You can prove that scripturally. However, according to Bible prophecy, there will be a temporary peace agreement between Israelis and Palestinians in the near future. But it's not going to lead to a peace. At least not long term. So... Will it be a Jewish or Palestinian homeland? There has never been a lasting resolution to the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian turmoil. Even though they've 
traded land for peace. It's ne- nothing has worked. While there has been a Jewish presence in the area of the Palestine since ancient times, thousands of Jews have been scattered into other regions of the world. The last time the Jews have been an, an independent nation was after the Maccabean Revolt in 167 B.C. Zionists believe in the return of the Jews to their ancestral homeland with Israel as an independent Jewish state. Palestine had been part of the Ottoman Empire until the British took control in uh, 1917. By the beginning of of World War I, thousands of Jews had settled in Palestine. The Balfour Declaration in 1917 supported the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. Through the, or though the Jews viewed their return as a regathering to the land inherited from their patriarchs, which is absolutely true according to Scripture, the Arabs viewed it as the Jewish people sweeping in and taking control of their Arab homeland. Now you understand some of the big battle going on there today. The Holy Land has seen two intifadas, four wars in Gaza, and a long series of failed efforts to negotiate a two-state solution. What's going to happen? Well, Daniel 9.27 prophesies that the, in the very near future, the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many for a final seven-year period. And this agreement will be a a confirmation of God's covenant with Abraham. Remember that Israel would always have a homeland in the promised land. Remember Genesis 15, 18, from the river in Egypt all the way up to the great river Euphrates. So the fulfillment of this prophecy, this, this signing of this peace agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians, how will we know? That's because there's been the Y River Accords, the Oslo Peace Accords, many different things that people thought, well, hey, this is it. But it, but it wasn't. We will know the specific peace agreement that starts the prophesied final seven years or Daniel's 70 weeks because the prophesied agreement has five biblical characteristics. Number one, it will establish a Palestinian state in Judea in the modern-day West Bank. There will be a two-state solution created. It, the peace agreement will allow the Jewish settlers presently living in Judea to remain in their homes, and there are many Jews that are willing to do that, and they will live there as a Jewish minority in that new Palestinian state. Number three, it will place the Temple Mount under an internationally supervised sharing arrangement allowing both Jews and Muslims to worship there. Now, you say, well, that's never going to happen. No, the Bible says it's going to happen. Revelation 11, 1 and 2. John, measure the temple, a future third temple, but don't measure the outer court because it will be trodden down of the Gentiles for 42 months. There is going to be a sharing arrangement on the temple mount. Number four, this future peace agreement will allow Israel to build her third temple. And finally... Israel will retain control of Jerusalem all the way throughout the end time. Now, when you see a prophesied peace agreement, 
that has these five biblical characteristics, then you can know assuredly that the final seven years of the Battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus has begun. So, what about today? Well, Biden's two-state solution, and you've heard of Hamas terrorism. Let's talk about it. A two-state solution would establish an independent and sovereign Palestinian state coexisting with Israel. The Biden administration has long maintained that a two-state solution is the only way to achieve peace, along with the international community. They view the same thing. And so they say, hey, it's the only way to achieve peace, security, um, stability in the Middle East. And on June 30, just a few weeks ago, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke with Palestinian Authority Leader Mahmoud Abbas to discuss President Joe Biden's uh, upcoming trip to the Middle East. He emphasized that the U.S. commitment to improving the quality of the life of the Palestinian people in tangible ways and and the administration's support for a negotiated two-state solution. Meanwhile, many Palestinians are saying that they do not believe in the two-state solution and that they support the Islamist Hamas terror group. Now, imagine being the Israelis, hoping to sign maybe a peace agreement in their future, but hearing that. And they want to see more terrorist attacks against the Jews. Also, most Palestinians are opposed to an unconditional resumption of Palestinians-Israelis peace negotiations. Hamas was declared in their covenant or they have declared in their covenant that Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as Islam obliterated others before it. So that's kind of the um, boots-on-the-ground version of what's going on there and how everybody feels. No, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people. So, is a one-state solution, it's talked about sometimes in the news, more realistic. Well, that's not what the Bible says is going to happen, but I wanted you to understand what was going on. Some of the diplomats have suggested that a one-state resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict would be more realistic. The one-state solution refers to the creation of a unitary federal or confederate Israeli-Palestinian state, which would encompass all the present territory of Israel, the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, and possibly the um, Gaza Strip and the Golan Heights. And you say, man, that, that, that would never work. It's not going to work. There's not going to be a one state. There's going to be a two-state solution. The Palestinians will have an autonomous situation out there in the West Bank under the new peace agreement. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high-traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. 
We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. You know, the reality is that Israel and the Palestinian territories already kind of function as a single state and a, a confederacy of Jews and Palestinians would affirm that the Holy Land has dual Christian and Muslim characteristics. Normally, it's the, the, the people, the general populace, they, they actually get along mostly. Now, obviously, there are some terrorist factions and things, but I've been to Israel many times, I've been to Jerusalem, and I've also been into Bethlehem. And the Palestinians, they treat, treat us fine. We eat lunch over there. I mean, it's not, most times the people can get along. It's the government heads, the politicians that are at loggerheads and want to keep things stirred up. So the Holy Land Confederation plan that was just proposed, it proposed that Israeli Israeli settlers in the West Bank be allowed to stay in the Palestinian state and it would do away with the current regime of fences, checkpoints. Whenever you go from Jerusalem into Bethlehem, you go through a giant concrete wall, the, 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 um, the separation, the barrier, and you got to go through a checkpoint, a lot of different things. They want to do away with all that. And so the pro-Confederation movement promotes two states, one homeland, in which both people consider their homeland to be the whole land. Some aspects of the Israeli-Palestinian Confederacy were incorporated into the deal of the century proposed by Donald Trump back in uh, 2020. So... The question was, was Trump's deal of the century? Was it biblical? Well, of course, we've talked about a peace plan, a biblical peace plan that's coming, but there was a peace plan by Donald Trump designed to really arbitrate the seven-decade-old animosity between the Israelis and the Palestinians. It was released on January 28, 2020, and it was called the deal of the century. But the official title was The Peace to Prosperity, a vision to improve the lives of Palestinians and Israeli people. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas reacted to the Trump administration's long-awaited plan by saying, hey, we say 1,000 times no, no, no to the deal of the century. Well, in um, in joint communications, the Arab League stressed that it would not cooperate in the enforcement of the plan. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin... Now, this was before the Abraham Accords, okay? Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he welcomed the peace plan. He said, and I'm quoting, the deal of the century is the opportunity of the century, and we're not going to pass it by. Well, of course, that led to them getting ready to annex much of the West Bank. 
And that, of course, what is what really brought forth the Abraham Accords because the leader of the United Arab Emirates, he said, hey, we can't let them annex big parts of that, so we're, what about if we just normalize relations with Israel? That's what brought on the Abraham Accords. But if you look closely at the covenant with many in Daniel 9, you find, a, you find striking similarities between the Middle East peace, the Bible prophesies, and President Trump's deal of the century. Many things, allowing Israel to um, worship up there and allowing the Muslims to worship up there together, Jews remaining out in the, the, uh, palace, under Palestinian jurisdiction, a two-state solution created, I mean, many of the, the biblical characteristics of the, of the peace agreement were included in President Trump's. However, you know, because the Abraham Accords came along and they normalized relations with Israel, that went off the table because it was not time for the Israeli-Palestinian peace yet. So, of course, Abbas, he's been, just been rejecting, rejecting, rejecting um, this, what they call a Swiss cheese state in February of 2020. Abbas rejected the U.S. proposed Middle East plan, the deal of the century, and called for a return to negotiations because uh, he appeared before the United Nations Security Council. He waved a copy of the map that the, United, uh, the U.S. plan had envisioned for a two-state solution for the Israeli and Palestine. And Abbas said that the state carved out for the Palestinians, it looked like a fragmented Swiss cheese. And a February 5 through 8 in 2020 poll conducted in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip found that 94% of Palestinians rejected the deal of the century. So an agreement between Israeli and the Palestinians seemed just out of reach totally. The prevailing thesis for the decades has been that for there to be any normalization of relations between Israel and the surrounding Arab Gulf states, there first had to be an agreement between Israel and the Palestinians. This goes back to the Arab Peace Initiative, 2002. However, during the Obama administration, Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister uh, was Prime Minister of Israel at that time, and his advisors had concluded that regardless of the status of the Palestinian and Israeli relations, the, the Middle East was about was ready to force peace between Israel and her Arab neighbors. And so, but it didn't happen, right? So that brings us to the Abraham Accords, August 2020. It signaled the first public normalization of relations between Arab and Arab country and Israeli since the Israelis' peace treaty with Jordan back in 1994. At the signing ceremony at the White House on in September 15th, the Abraham Accords became the first peace deal any Arab country had finalized with Israel in 26 years. And the Accords were named after Abraham the uh, Hebrew patriarch common to the Abrahamic religions, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, to emphasize the shared origin of belief between Judaism and Islam and the monotheistic worship of the God of Abraham. President Donald Trump brokered the peace agreements between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and between Israel and Bahrain 
And then later in 2020, two other Arab nations, Sudan and Morocco, uh, (coughs) agreed to join the Abraham Accords. According to the U.S. State Department, through these agreements, each country recognizes the importance of strengthening peace in the Middle East and around the world through mutual understanding and respect for for human dignity and freedom. They also promote interfaith, intercultural dialogue in order to advance a culture of peace through cooperation. And the signatories, they cooperated to establish embassies and exchange ambassadors, and they partnered on a variety of issues including tourism, trade, health care, security. Significantly, in terms of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, the four Arab states that signed the Abraham Accords pledged to develop warm people-to-people ties with Israel and improving the prospects for Israel becoming more integrated in the rest of the Middle East. So, the United Arab Emirates and Israel, the trade deal, proves the Abraham Accords' resilience. Israel's ties with the Arab states continued to warm in just a couple months, few months ago, June, uh, back in June, as Israel entered its first free trade agreement with the Arab nation, the pact, the first of its kind between Israel and a Gulf Arab state, is going to lower the tariffs, ease tax rates, uh, facilitate businesses, and all kinds of growth. Israel's Minister of Economy and the United Arab Emirates Minister of Economy signed this historic deal, the Free Trade Zone deal in Dubai. Israel and the United Arab Emirates are expected to increase bilateral trade in goods and services as well as Israeli exports to the United Arab Emirates. This trade agreement indicates that both Israel and the United Arab Emirates are determined to solidify the improvement in their relations and deepen their ties. Now, the thing that's happening right now is that Biden is continuing the Trump Middle East policies and supporting the Abraham Accords. And he's also, I just read an article before I walked into the studio today, President Biden is trying to use the Abraham Accords to garner uh, relations between Israel and and the Palestinians. He's pressuring them is what he's doing. But initially, President Biden, he seemed lukewarm about previous, the previous Israeli-Arab peace initiatives and was really not inclined to acknowledge that President Trump had paved the way for Middle East peace. However, as President Biden embarked on his first trip to the Middle East, since entering the White House, he fully embraced the Abraham Accords brokered by President Trump. Previously, Arab nations resisted negotiating with Israel until the Palestinians received their own state. The Abraham Accords disconnected the Arab and Arab-Israeli conflict from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and that forms the basis for the diplomatic initiatives of Biden's White House. His administration sees the Abraham Accords as a tool to promote stability and the integration of Israel into the Middle East. Secretary of State uh, Blinken, had he said back in March, we are fully committed to expanding cooperation through the Abraham Accords 
and building on the remarkable progress that Israel, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, and Morocco have made in such a, a short period of time. Now, so what does this all come down to? Because you, many of you have probably heard, I'm not going to have time to get into it, about the, uh, the Red Sea Islands um, but, uh, from, that went from Israel, that Israel helped to negotiate into the hands of the Saudi Arabia. And many different things going on, especially, like I said, President Obama using the, trying to use the Abraham Accords to get uh, the Palestinian leader, Palestinian Authority leader, Mahmoud Abbas, to come into some kind of, at least a peace negotiation or some kind of a deal with Israel for a peace situation. Hasn't happened yet. He's, uh, Mahmoud Abbas is uh, balking against it. But at this point, President Biden's giving it a shot. What's going to happen in the near future? Like I said, Daniel 9.27 prophesies there will be a peace agreement. The Antichrist will sign a peace agreement between the Israelis and Palestinians in the very near future. It's going to happen. I know they've tried it several times, several decades. But it is going to happen in the near future. A two-state solution. The Jews living out there, I know many of them. I have articles that have said, oh yeah, we're willing to live out here in Palestinian jurisdiction as long as we can have peace. They said, the article said they were willing to yield up their arms. Well, the Bible says that's what's going to happen in the very near future. There will be a peace agreement that's signed that has many, at least five biblical characteristics. And once we see that peace agreement signed between Israeli and the Palestinians with those biblical characteristics, then we will know for sure that the final seven years to the Battle of Armageddon has started. This peace agreement starts those final seven years. So regardless of what it looks like in Israel right now, there will be a peace agreement. It's going to be a false peace agreement because remember, Israel's not supposed to sign any covenants or make any agreements with the heathen. But she's going to, and it's going to be a false peace, and it will start the final seven years of the Battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463 or visit us online at endtime.com. 